Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House. A salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. Today we're traveling to what feels like 60 million years back to 1991 to observe the most wonderful time of the year for the Jim Henson Company's dinosaurs. It's Refrigerator Day. Honey, I'm home. I am unidentified furry creature about to become breakfast Mike Westfall. And joining me is the hot toddy serving middle manager of my dreams. It's Lindy. Hello, Lindy. Hey, I'm feeling especially Stone Age after you just said the year, because that's one thing I didn't look up when looking up this episode. Yeah, it's 30 years old now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, it's getting, it will be 30 years old in November or December. December. December 11th, 1991. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how this happened, but Dinosaurs is the first TGIF show I'm covering on the podcast. Really? I'm surprised because I feel like TGIF would have been like an absolute haven for Christmas specials. It was, and I'm going to have to get to a lot more of them. But the closest thing that I've done so far resembling anything that would have played on TGIF was Saved by the Bell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was was Saturday morning. But no, this counts. (laughs) It's weird to remember that uh, Saved by the Bell was a Saturday morning show because, like, in retrospect, it, it's so TGIF-centric as far as its tone. It's right. absolutely not. <laughs> nah. So let's start with what kind of history do you have watching dinosaurs in general and if you remember watching this episode in particular before now? Um, I remember when it first came out because I was, I, like you, I was a big Henson kid. And when Dinosaurs was getting released, I remember there's a lot of hype around it. Like, oh my gosh, this is the first big uh, TV production that they're doing past Jim's death and all that. And I remember like tuning in for the premiere. I think I still have it on like a VHS tape. Oh, wow. I don't, well, the funny thing is, I think, I don't know if it was like the first airing, but like the first episode, they had a laugh track, which they removed in later airings. So that was an odd thing that didn't last long. But um, as far as when the series was actually airing in primetime, I didn't catch it very often because I don't know why. I just didn't watch TV on Friday nights that often. But it later went into syndication. And that was when I really ended up catching up on the series and watching all the episodes, whereas every now and then I might catch one. So um, that was probably when I was in like junior high or high school. So we're talking like late 90s, early 2000s when I first saw this episode. Oh, okay. I remember loving this show. For me, it felt as big as The Simpsons when it started. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) On that note, my kids have been watching it on Disney Plus now, and they've really taken to it. And watching it with them is the thing that finally made me realize, okay, if y'all like this, you're totally ready for The Simpsons. (laughs) Yeah, basically. It, it, do, you, do you remember how they even made fun of the dinosaurs on uh, on The Simpsons? Oh, it, I'm drawing a blank. I can't remember which episode it was. And I'm sure some of our friends listening to the episode are probably like screaming like, oh my God. It's <laughs> there was some, like the first act of some episode. First unheard message. It was Black Widower. They were watching TV and it was... A dinosaur, like dinosaurs and the Simpsons are like, oh, these people are just like us. And you know, <laughs> it's the it's the Homer slash Earl standing going, are you listening to that rock and rock music? And <laughs> so people were aware at the time of how much uh, similarity there was to the two series. In fact, uh, I was 
I watched some making of stuff recently and they talked about how it wasn't until the Simpsons premiered and was successful that the show got greenlit because it was in concept from when Jim Henson was still alive. Right. And then they're like, oh, look, a nuclear family sitcom that's like not your like leave it to beaver kind of type is popular. So that's how this kind of got off the ground. Yeah. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful ABC put the show on TGIF, which got more eyes on it. But they were so committed to this show, they pushed Family Matters to nine o'clock. <laughs> That's a big I mean, move for them. At that point, though, I mean, that was full on Urkel Dome. And I think people that were that into watching Family Matters would follow it to any time slot. Yeah, probably. This isn't like the Fox moves where it's like it's they try to do the Simpsons thing where they're like, it's somewhat popular. Let's put it up against the number one primetime show at this time. Yeah, <laughs> that'll work. Just gets canceled. <laughs> so Refrigerator Day, as I said, debuted December 11th, 1991. By then, Dinosaurs had moved to Wednesday night as the lead off of a block I don't remember at all called The Hump. <laughs> I have no memory of this, but... In 1991, it also included The Wonder Years and Doogie Howser, M.D. So I watched this block. I just don't remember it being called The Hump. It seems like an odd thing to promo for. Because, like, the only TV promo block, aside from, obviously, TGIF, that I remember getting a lot of, you know, airtime, at least at least stuff that I saw, was um, the must TV thing from NBC. Yeah. I could not tell you what any of those other like TV blocks were called for any other network. No, they tried to make it a thing right around that time. And, but those are the only two I really remember. You're right. What really impresses me about this one is that according to Muppet wiki, they taped the episode a month earlier on November 11th. That seems impressive to me. Why is that? I get, well, maybe, I guess for a show like this, you don't need to do a lot of post-production, but I feel like a month is a really quick turnaround time for a show this complex. Oh, okay. What you're, you're thinking it's like too quick. I, I yeah. In that case, I absolutely agree with you. Because yeah. like when you look into the fact that, you know, each of these dinosaurs, like you had three performers just to get one character, like completely understand why, you know, you would think that it's like, oh, this has to be at least like a minimum 60-day turnaround time for an episode. Right. Yeah, well, that's a good lead-in to talking about the cast because each of these has three different performers, and I had a little fun digging into a lot of what they did before and after this. So, I Oh, yeah, give, it gets interesting. <laughs> yeah, I want to give credit where credit's due. This was a very complex show to produce, so I'll try and go quickly, but the voice of Earl Sinclair is Stuart Pankin. Spend all our money on presents, which isn't hard considering what I bring home who before this was best known as the anchor for HBO's Not Necessarily the News. I cannot say I remember that. That was like, <laughs> The Daily Show, I think, was inspired by that. So it was an HBO, sort that sort of show. Really? I thought that The Daily Show was inspired by, like, Weekend Update. <laughs> yeah, I, this was after Weekend Update, but it was, um, it was an American version of Not the Nine O'Clock News. In the UK. Okay. So it's that sort of news show. And then controlling Earl's face is Mac Wilson, who before did this, did the same for Hoggle and Labyrinth, Audrey 2 and Little Shop of Horrors, and Michelangelo and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then we have a 
third person in the body of Earl, it's Bill Beretta, who is now best known as Pepe the King Prawn. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he also now performs Rolf Dr. Teeth in The Swedish Chef. So he's still <laughs> sticking around there. Those heads of performers are pretty loyal, so that's not too surprising to hear. Absolutely. There are going to be a few of these here, but that's probably the biggest name besides, like, Steve Whitmire's a few people. like. But that's the one that, that stood out to me the most. Then we have Earl's wife, Fran, who is voiced by the late, great Bluth matriarch, Jessica Walter. One day, a great and wise dinosaur came up with the idea that if you put food in a cold box... It would stay fresh and we could settle down in one place. <laughs> and uh, Archer Matriarch as well. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I forget that. <laughs> I, I know. I go straight to Arrested Development, too, because I've definitely watched it more than um, Archer, but oh, Archer's still a quality show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I had no idea she was the voice of Fran Sinclair until maybe this year. Really? No, it, for some reason that just went over my head. I didn't pay attention a lot to the voices until looking this up now. I think I was more attracted to who was in the suit. <laughs> and in, in Fran's suit is Tony Sabin Prince, who before Dinosaurs was a skater with the Ice Capades. And after Dinosaurs, he worked on the Country Bears and a movie featuring the same style of dinosaur creatures, 1995's Theodore Rex with Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> country bears rules though i just want to say <laughs> oh country bears is such an underrated movie <laughs> that has some of the best like campy christopher walken comedy yes. in it like ever and <laughs> so few people have seen it and i highly recommend anybody who hasn't like seriously watch the country bears go watch the country <laughs> bears people treat yourself and then controlling fran's face is alan troutman who was an additional Muppet performer for most of the 90s and was also the puppeteer for Mr. Floppy on Unhappily Ever After. <laughs> for all of you who thought Bobcat Goldthwait was crouched behind a sofa for five seasons of that, sorry, it was Alan Troutman. And he's currently the lead animatronic performer of Ned in Earth to Ned, which I have yet to watch. I have never heard of this. What is this show? This is a new Disney Plus show that they have a deal with Jim Henson Productions. So it's like a talk show. It's like a late night talk show with this alien named Ned. Okay. That's sort of th this sort of technology. It's, it's like a creature shop creature. So I'm really interested in checking it out, but I haven't gotten to it yet. We're still making our way through the Mighty Ducks. And well, now Loki started, so it's going to be a little <laughs> longer. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's on the list, too, for me. <laughs> Next, we have Robbie Sinclair. Using refrigerator data cell paint sort of cheapens the holiday, don't you think? Voiced by Jason Willinger, who currently does narration and voiceover work, including promos for CBS and Nickelodeon. He's also credited as additional voices in a Goofy movie. And that's all I know about him. He's famous for this. He seems like the most un, like under the radar of all the cast members, like the he, voice cast members. <laughs> he does, but it's good that he seems to be doing well for himself with uh, these voiceover and narration things. Yeah, he just comes off as one of those like workhorse for mm -hmm. voice guys, like not quite like a Charlie Adler who like you would recognize specifically, right. but, like just consistently works and you just don't ever notice. Yeah. 
And then Steve Whitmire is controlling Robbie's face. But Robbie also has a special performer just to control his eyes. For some reason, he needed extra eye control. And for that, it's Julianne Buescher, who was Denise in the 2015 Muppet series. Okay. And is now Yolanda Rat. And in Muppets Now, she's Beverly Plume, the turkey hostess of Okie Dokie Cooking. Which is the best segment on yes. all now. Seriously. Absolutely my favorite part of it. <laughs> I'm such a cooking show nerd. Like, I love watching <laughs> it. Like, David Choi showed up, or Roy Choi showed up. I was so, like, pumped. And, of course, Swedish <laughs> Chef is there. And it was like, oh, my God, this is like, it's all coming together. This is yeah. amazing. <laughs> Perfect. My kids like cooking shows. Like, one of their favorite shows to watch is Nailed It. Oh, yeah. Well, one, Nicole Byer is just kind of like a joy wherever she goes when she guests on stuff. So, Mm -hmm. like, you have that going for you. And then you just have these people, like, that are cocky to to some extent and overextending, like, what they think they can do. But, like, thankfully, because it's it's episodic, you don't have any of that reality show drama where anyone's a jerk. So it's just fun. They are in and out, and they... Well, all of these projects, it's like you're doing, you're kind of speed baking here and trying to create these masterpieces. And the point of Nailed It is they totally don't nail it. <laughs> the funny thing is about Nailed It, half of those things that they're trying to recreate, I don't think people who make them well could make them that well in that time period. Anyway. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> so let's make these you. people who can fail, just make them fail spectacularly. Yes. It's a good lesson, children. <laughs> you'll never be as good as what you think you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just it has your expectations. <laughs> and that's all right. Yeah. Curb your expectations. And then finally, Robbie's body performer is Leif Tilden, who was also the body performer for Donatello in the first two Ninja Turtles movies. They switched up all the cast for part three because no one wanted to be part of part three. <laughs> part three is underrated. I, I actually it like- is underrated. I, I like watching it again. I don't know. It's that nostalgia thing that for yeah, me, but, that's yeah. a, I, it's not that bad. I will readily admit it that that I went to the theater and saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, and I was happy for the experience. <laughs> uh, next, we have Charlene Sinclair, voiced by Sally Struthers. The key thing is, we get lots of presents. Do you want more Refrigerator Day presents? Sure, we all do. The funny thing is, at that time. When dinosaurs came out, like as a kid, if I heard the name Sally Struthers, I would never have connected to the fact that she was like famous or an actor for like 20 years previous. I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's the lady from the starving kids commercials. And that's yeah, it. no, for me, it was just like, it's that ITT tech lady. And wrong. At ICS, more than 10 million men and women have prepared for new careers without setting foot inside a classroom. <laughs> In the body of Charlene is, I'm going to butcher this name but not michael insisty who was michelangelo's body performer in the turtle movies and for the last decade has been animals drumming hands <laughs> nice which is my new favorite thing to put on a resume animals drumming hands <laughs> that makes my addition to as perennial app again for muppet labs intern just sound a lot lamer <laughs> yeah well <laughs> And Charlene's face is controlled by Bruce Lenoyle, who was the cat in the hat in the wubulous world of Dr. Seuss. 
and the in-suit performer of Michael Keaton's snowman form in Jack Frost. I don't know why I thought that movie for some reason was CGI, <laughs> but okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Creature Shop. I did. I had no idea it was Henson related. Maybe it's not Henson related, but a lot of these same people, you know, they kind of bounce around jobs when they can. And Jack Frost had a few of these people. Yeah, I mean, did you said it definitely wasn't a pop, uh, creature shop creation for Jack the Jack Frost? Uh, well, now I got to look it up. I don't know. Because <laughs> I was going to say it's probably along the lines of the um, Ninja Turtles, where it's like that movie's not a Henson production, but those were all creature shop puppets. Right. No, it doesn't. I'm looking at the wrong one. Nope. <laughs> Are you looking at the one with uh, Shannon Woodsley or whatever? Yep. Maybe like getting murdered in the shower. <laughs> uh, it is definitely a Jim Henson's Creature Shop creature, the snowman form. But that is the only note about it in here. All right. Well, then that makes sense. Like just like I said, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Industrial Light and Magic. So it was a little of both. And then we have the baby. What's refrigerated day? I already told you. Oh, was I listening? Not yet legally named baby as of this episode. That comes later. <laughs> but that happened. I love that episode, though. That's such a great episode. <laughs> what, what's, his, what's his temporary legal name? It's oh, something... like, ah, ah, I'm dying, you idiot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Anyway. <laughs> But of course, it's Kevin Clash doing a voice that's just far enough removed from his Elmo to be a unique sounding voice, but close enough that we all realized, hey, that's Elmo. Yeah, basically. I mean, I think the fact that it's just not a furry red puppet makes people just not associate it. But that could it's, be. It's, it's 80% Elmo. Voice. Yeah, there you go. Kevin Clash also controls baby's head. His eyes are controlled by John Kennedy who took over for Dr. Teeth after the death of Jim Henson, did a bunch of work on the Wubbulous world of Dr. Seuss, including Horton the Elephant and Sam I Am. He's currently the amazing Mumford. And in a one-off on Sesame Street that I have to mention, Elmo goes to a convention called Numericon and meets the Fantabulous Four, featuring John Kennedy as an orange rock monster named Fang. Is that like, I, I know it, obviously it's a thing joke, but is there a Tang joke in there as well? Oh, I don't know. He, But I mean, he he has the catchphrases. So like they're posing for a picture and he says, it's posing time. Ah, <laughs> I was just thinking like if they went for the, you know, he was in, in outer space and then I'm like, maybe he's <laughs> orange and orange flavored. <laughs> they probably couldn't get the, uh, the naming rights for Tang, but. <laughs> they, they had to fight those uh, Russian cosmonauts yeah yeah well (laughs) would have been great (laughs) and then baby's arms have a separate performer it's terry harden who was in ghostbusters as the demon dog sigourney weaver turns into and co-performed the stay puffed marshmallow man nice we'll get to some others as we get into the plot but let's get talking about refrigerator day oh can i throw in one that they're not episode but i was shocked to find out what's that robbie's best friend spike is christopher maloney yes he is i was looking for <laughs> this i'm like man i wish spike was in this episode i know it, like there's other some like great guest stars like you know robert ricardo and jeffrey tambor show up and stuff like that but like as far as a regular character i think he was the only one that i was like oh my god i know that guy <laughs> <laughs> 
There's one more that we'll get to, but we'll get to that one later. But but we open with the family decorating their fridge, and I kind of want to get seasonal magnets now to decorate my fridge now that the kids are just starting to get less interested in playing with fridge magnets. So mysteriously disappearing because they they decided they liked that one. <laughs> it could be, yeah. But now I'm thinking I'll get a bunch of Christmas ones. That'll teach you to get too grown up for magnets. <laughs> You can get some letter ones so you can spell out the happy fridge day. There we go. We get bits and pieces of traditional fridge day staples. Fran has collected a year's worth of mold from the fridge's meat drawer for her famous refrigerator mold pie. Which sounds gross until you remember that's kind of how they make blue cheese. I mean, I guess. I I think it's kind of funny that it's a dish that's made out of molds, which I'm assuming are supposed to be like from meat molds. But like later on in the series, when they make a whole episode, that's like a weird, both like vegetarianism, traditionalism, and like coming out of the closet allegory episode about Robbie being a vegetarian. Oh yeah. That they're like super into a non meat centric dish for a holiday. Right. And we have baby to ask the question, what's refrigerator day? So we can get some exposition on it from his grandma, Ethel. Refrigerator Day is when dinosaurs celebrate the one invention that made modern civilization possible. Diapers? No. Hmm. Although that was an important one, too. Especially in summer. Who is performed physically by Brian Henson and vocally by Florence Stanley, whom I know best as the judge-slash-landlady in My Two Dads. I know when I looked her up, I saw she was on an episode of, like, Malcolm in the Middle, and that's about, like, all I recognized her from. Yeah, she was, uh, one of her bigger roles was she was, um, in Barney Miller, she was Abe Vigoda's wife. But I didn't watch Barney Miller. But Refrigerator Day actually sets up the entire concept of this show. It celebrates the invention that paved the way for dinosaurs to evolve from nomadic scavengers to a modern pre-Stone Age family. They don't even know the name of the inventor of the fridge. He's not important. It's his contribution to the world that we celebrate on Fridge Day, which I kind of like. It's totally okay because, like, (laughs) as we get into later in the episode, like, there's all this hilarious anachronistic stuff that like they pull into the holiday where it's kind of like I mean much like the show in general you have modern day equivalents where it's like you know Christmas it's celebrated in December we know it's based on like various Roman pagan holidays and stuff like that we know the Christmas tree is from another tradition but it's all just part of our own kind of knowledge about what you do for Christmas now and much in the same way for them it's like yeah sure whatever it's just a holiday we do this because that's what we're supposed to do pretty much they all kind of put it together and like this makes me feel good let's keep doing it they get presents why would they argue they get presents yeah Charlene's there to explain to baby the important thing is you get lots of presents and Earl confirms he spent all of the family's money on presents this year but not to worry because he's getting his annual Fridge Day bonus. 
I, when watching this, I was laughing because this is of that era where like bonuses were like a massive crux to plots for Christmas stuff. Yes. Like this <laughs> one and the Simpsons Christmas special and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation were all like within two years of each other. And now, like, I think I'd be shocked if I knew anybody that got a Christmas bonus. I like, regular promise thing. Right. At at my last job, we got an end of the year bonus. So it was the same idea. Um, so And that got me wondering, is the end of year bonus a global thing? And what I found was quite a few countries have laws requiring what's deemed a 13 month salary. And some, especially in Latin America, have a mandatory 14th month salary. Wow. Now, in some places, this is on top of the traditional voluntary, quote, Christmas bonus, but other places use the terms interchangeably. So that surprised me that it's very much part of life in in a lot of other countries. Well, not a lot, but a significant amount of other countries. That's pretty interesting. I like I wonder how long some of those who've been doing that, like, is it it's been that way in their systems like for a long time? Right. The earliest postmodern thing. The earliest law requiring a 13th salary, as they're calling it on Wikipedia, uh, was the Philippines in the 70s. Okay, so this is more of like a modern day thing. I wonder, like, because I know the uh, the concept of like these bonuses, like it was common to a lot of American families for a long time. I wonder if because of the perception in American media being as prevalent as it was, everyone else is like, that's a great idea. We should do that too. And meanwhile, we've gotten away from that and everyone else is like 14 months now. <laughs> yeah, right. We have the uh, working TV dad on wisely overspending on Christmas in anticipation of his end of year bonus to thank for that. <laughs> Anyway, I'm glad we have Earl, Homer, and Clark Griswold around when we were young to teach us to not just assume you're getting a holiday bonus and spend too much money before not getting it. (laughs) And I can't move on before acknowledging the true star of Refrigerator Day, the fridge itself, and its loud, rowdy inhabitants every time it's open. I love how, like, like, I don't know, I can't remember because I didn't watch the whole series for a while. But I remember it having to be a thing that sometimes they'd have to like yell at the fridge to like get them to give it specific items. Yes. Okay. (laughs) No, that's absolutely a regular dinosaurs meme. This might be my favorite pop culture refrigerator up there with Pee Wee's Playhouse. No, it's pretty solid. Although, honestly, I'd rather be stuck inside Pee Wee's fridge than. Oh, yeah. If I had to get stuck inside one, I'm picking Pee Wee's. This one always has like the billowing smoke coming out of it. It, it no, it feels like Ghostbusters fridge in there when they open it. <laughs> it's it's almost a gozer fridge, but yeah. you know, as we learned in an, one episode, I remember they take baby Sinclair hostage. So like That's right. they have a take no prisoners kind of attitude. So. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> but today Earl takes out some furry creature who congratulates him on his bonus, adding, please don't eat me. And before Earl can eat the little guy, Fran reminds him they're supposed to fast for two days before the holiday feast to remind them of their ancestors' hardships. I I think this is one of the first specials I 
can recall, although you're definitely more of an expert than I am, that specifically mentions fasting as being part of their holiday ritual. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, But again, this seems like the sort of episode that's trying to make this fake holiday and amalgamation of a bunch of other real holidays. So it borrows from here. Like I've never heard of Christmas fasting, but that's something I associate with Lent or Passover. Yeah, or um, Ramadan or something like that. It's just kind of interesting that they threw that in there. The the other thing is with this animal um, that comes from the fridge that I always loved with dinosaurs is it it reminded me of the Flintstones, but instead of having it be like all of I mean, because they would use different small animals and stuff like that as like different working stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was very much like, the oh, it's a living kind of thing. And I I didn't know if that was a purposeful throwback or not, but I always thought it was like cool that they had that. (laughs) It might be now that I think about it. It's very much the same sort of attitude, but these are kind of resigned to being food. It doesn't stop them from being sarcastic about the dinosaurs about to eat them too. This one's saying... Hey, a couple of days without food wouldn't exactly kill you, Slim. (laughs) We then cut to Earl at work on his break from pushing trees for the We Say So Development Corporation, staring and salivating while his pal Roy eats his lunch. Roy gets to eat because he always fasts between meals. So apparently Roy was the inventor of intermittent fasting, and we didn't even know it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And the voice of Roy is Sam McMurray. Sorry, Polly boy. Uh, going across friend. Experts agree. Getting on the wrong side of your best friend's wife can be quite injurious to the relationship. Yeah, plus it's a good way to get the arteries ripped out of your head. And I'll ask you what you think of first when you think of Sam McMurray. I think of um, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Okay, that's a good one. I have three big touch points that I think of. Uh, in order, Christmas Vacation, he's Clark's co-worker. Uh, the movie The Wizard as Jimmy's stepdad. And then in Adam's Family Values, he has a short part as that rich summer camp dad. Oh, God, yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> Those are my three. Oh, yeah, he's got a bunch of, like, great little parts where he, he's he's definitely one of those that guy kind of actors from that era. Oh, yeah. Here's something I learned about Sam McMurray last year. Uh, Sam McMurray was in a the failed TV adaptation of A League of Their Own is Jimmy Dugan. <laughs> which, Tom Hanks, he ain't. <laughs> you literally stole the words from my mouth. <laughs> God, I can't... Uh, the fact that they tried to adapt that as a TV show, I, I can't imagine what that was like. I watched one episode last year for another podcast, and it's... No, doesn't work. What did they like one of the kind of second tier girl, one or two of them, like Marla or something like that showed up. And then like one other girl that you don't even remember the name of. And then everybody else was like recast. Yeah, they recast everybody. They tried to make it a sitcom with a laugh track and it just doesn't work as a sitcom with a laugh track. <laughs> yeah, a, a, like a semi-inspirational World War II era sports movie. Another really kind of swing with like a situation single camera comedy. <laughs> no, Espe- and especially because there was no baseball. <laughs> they didn't even play any games. This was just like what? they played <laughs> games and they showed some like they were interstitials in between the comedy scenes. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, no, does not work. I, this is like the worst version of Coach. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's accurate. Uh, and controlling Roy's head is David Greenaway, who also did facial puppetry for Raphael. So now we have three out of four movie turtles represented. And Roy's body actor is Pons Marr, who was the lead wheeler in Return to Oz. Oh, really? Yeah. And he was the voice of the Noid. <laughs> I always forget the Noid kind of like made noises. He just kind of makes those like weird high pitched laughs, but. I don't think that was edited. I think that's his actual... He can do that laugh. I don't think he's still the voice of the Noid. The Noid came <laughs> back. I don't... I. He sounds different. The Noid came back. He got canceled from Twitter. You know, I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, really? So there was an actual account called, like, at the Noid. Yeah. And it was banned. Oh, man. <laughs> I, it's a, It was an official account, but all right. Weird. I don't know if they had another one, but I just thought it was kind of funny. It's like Maybe Twitter that was the joke. Just... Maybe Twitter's <laughs> avoiding the Noid. Twitter takes its pizza game very seriously. That's right. But yeah, Earl's looking longingly at Roy's lunch and is interrupted by his boss yelling for him. But Earl's not as nervous as he usually is because he's expecting to get that bonus. So Earl confidently moves on up to the trailer office of B.P. Richfield, voiced by Sherman Hemsley. Sinclair, get in here now for the hills. Yes, yes, that was such a great voice. I love him in this role. Sherman Hemsley was, <laughs> he was so amazing at everything he was in. Yes, and uh, I didn't watch a lot of the Jeffersons as a kid, but when I heard his voice, I thought, hey, it's the guy from Amen. <laughs> I was an Amen watcher too. I, I'd yes. watch, I watched. I want to say two two seven, but I forgot he only would like guest star on that occasionally because of okay. Marla Gibbs. But yep. yeah, definitely would watch Amen. <laughs> absolutely. Also, I'd like to appreciate the subtle joke I absolutely did not get as a kid. But every character in Dinosaurs is named after an oil company. <laughs> yeah, that's one that like you, when you're a little kid. Well, especially for you and I who lived on the east coast like we didn't have sinclair stations or anything like that so we wouldn't have ever like made that association no absolutely not but we have sinclair we have bp richfield roy's last name is hess maybe that was the only one i would have gotten but i don't remember that fran's maiden name is phillips (laughs) unless there was one named like sunny sinoco i probably never got (laughs) it So Earl walks into Richfield's office to an unusually warm glow of a fireplace and the even more unusually warm demeanor of his boss, who kindly offers him a hot toddy. And now I'm onto it. It's a daydream. <laughs> I mean, I wish in real life I could just get offered a hot toddy casually at work. It was really... <laughs> or anywhere. <laughs> <too big. laughs> hey, I love that word. Toddy. Toddy. Toddy, 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 toddy. And it gets more and more obvious when Richfield says, I've got three envelopes with fridge day bonuses. Guess which one's yours? They all are, because I love you. And just as Earl goes in to hug his daydream boss, his actual boss shouts for him again. Earl's still outside. Now he goes in, still very optimistic, only to be given a cup of pencils to sharpen for his boss. Because there's no bonus this year. Because as far as his boss is concerned, when you expect it, it's not a bonus. It's just pay. So since Earl's expecting it, he's not going to get one. I always love the in-camera trick they did with Richfield. 
because he's supposed to look so big and imposing, but like because every other dinosaur had to be actually performed by a human and you couldn't have like a 14 man team for this gigantic guy that they were just like, they had the half puppet and then they would just like film it and put it at that angle. So like he looked like he's three times the size of Earl. Yeah. Threatened to eat him. It actually seems threatening. Right. Absolutely. And then when you're looking from Richfield's point of view, the camera's kind of angled down. It was very smart. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like, when you think about, and I know this is one of the things that led to it eventually getting canceled, was just how much money and time it took to make everything. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool to see, like, you know, when they would have the regular shots for, like, the single camera stuff, you had those in-suit performers, but then you had the partial ones for, like, I can't remember her name, but... um Fran's friend, the one that's like the brontosaurus with the neck. Oh, yeah. And then you had the TV with TV shows within the show, which were always the hand puppets. Yep. I I thought it was really cool in a creative way to like show a variety of dinosaurs and not have it be like a three million dollar an episode show. Yes. No, they they use some very clever tricks to make that all happen. And it all came together so well. And speaking of the TV, we cut back home to Robbie and Charlene putting up fridge day cards they got in the mail on a string to hang over the fireplace, and we get to see what they're watching, and it's a holiday commercial for paint! This refrigerator day, what better way to celebrate the special occasion than by giving the gift that'll keep shining long after the day is over? The gift... Which is the best song. I love it. I used to run around, walk around singing it with my sister. Right? Yeah, that's been in my head for the last three days or so. <laughs> and I think I heard Karen Prell's voice as one of the carolers. She's most recognizable as Red Fraggle, I think. And for fans of this podcast, Maureen the Mink. Oh, Maureen the Mink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just wait until Christmas, though, and you start hearing We Wish You a Merry Christmas, and then you just finish it up in your head with, so come in and buy paint. It's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> I think this episode's coming up and in, in my kids kind of going through the show episode by episode, so I'm just going to let them watch it. Well, they'll be sure to remind you. And now it's going to be in their head for Christmas time. It's just like, yep. <laughs> Well, here, if they get to it by then, you should buy some empty paint cans and put some of their gifts in there. And then there <laughs> you go. I'm singing that. Be like, here's your gift. It's paint. That's what she asked for. <laughs> but then we get a more serious, solemn commercial from We Say So, which is about as on the nose as the name We Say So. We believe that when a dinosaur knows what's best for his family, other dinosaurs shouldn't interfere. And we believe that when a company knows what's best for its community, that community shouldn't interfere with wasteful and demeaning regulations. Something to think about as we celebrate freedom on this refrigerator day from your friends at the We Say So Corporation. We say so. We'll do what's right if you leave us alone. And that voiceover in the commercial is Michael Dorn. Wow, I didn't catch that one. Neither did I. I saw it in the credits. I think IMDb had it credited uh, because the show didn't have it credited. But for someone somewhere confirmed, yeah, that's totally Michael Dorn. And now I hear it. If, if I watch this again, I'm sure I'd pick it up in the same kind of way. But that's funny. I wonder if he did any of the other voiceover stuff for some of their TV things. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he did, to be honest. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Once upon a time, a baby dinosaur was born. Now, all this prehistoric fun is cureless with talking baby dinosaur. Baby. baby dinosaur has six clever things to say. Collect the entire Sinclair family. Earl, Fran. And a baby. Robbie, Charlene. And a baby. Yes, and the baby, too. Even Big B. Richfield. Official talking baby and dinosaur figures sold separately. And Earl walks in and gathers the whole family so he can share his bad news with them all. As soon as the baby stops interrupting. I'm through the refrigerator. That's great. I'm through the refrigerator. That's not as great. And the wall, and the floor, and the- Would you let me get in my bad news? Earl explains he's not getting his bonus, and they're broke. But it's a special time of year, so all the bills can wait. And then we immediately cut to their fridge getting repossessed and taken away. I love the line the repo guy said where he's like, we could forgive you paying on time, but a day late is way too much. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I also love the fact that, like, their fridge is on payment plan or something like that. Like the idea that they wouldn't have just outright owned their fridge. Right. You think <laughs> a, for a holiday, a, an appliance with a holiday dedicated to it, that it would be a thing that you wouldn't have to have a payment plan for. Yeah. Like you would think if, if it was like, oh, it's the fancy new fridge, like it's brand new, like that would work. But like the idea that. <laughs> they're like, oh, you're late on your bill, so we're just going to repo your fridge. Yep. It's really funny. Because the repo dinosaur's boss likes to take the appliance that causes the most pressure. <laughs> it, it, I remember when I was a kid, and, like, I got the we say so joke, like, you know, because it's very broad. Oh, yeah. But I, I remember thinking, like, man, isn't it funny that the dinosaurs have one huge corporation that does almost all of their stuff? <laughs> and now we live in 2021 and it's like oh well shoot <laughs> <laughs> time is cyclical <laughs> i don't have any credits for this repo dinosaur but now's a good time to talk about something i learned thanks to muppet wiki the dinosaur's equivalent to the anything muppet was known as the unisaur was that that orange one with the spikes or is this the long blue one well, they have a few of them. Like, like there are a few anything Muppets that all the other Muppets are sort of built on uh, because this same dinosaur model is used for multiple one-off characters throughout the show's run. This repo guy is called Long Snout, and it's also been used as a game show host and exorcist-like babysitter and the devil <laughs> vo voiced by Tim Curry. I mean, that's a solid choice for a devil character. Absolutely. So despite Earl's family trying to console him, he feels like he failed them all and feels like he's lower than dirt. Wakes up the next morning, groggily reaching for a fridge door that's not there and just starts sobbing the buy paint song. We wish you a happy fridge day, so come in, not buy paint. <laughs> I, Earl is such a like solid character and I kind of, I really appreciate him now in the future, like, many years later, especially in the era post, like, all these 
Seth MacFarlane cartoons that really overuse that Ralph Cramden formula for like oh, yeah. family. Because he he still had that like early Homer Simpson thing before he became like jerk ass Homer in the yeah. later seasons where he was still like a normal human being, well mm-hmm. yeah, normal dinosaur. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Robbie wonders why they can't just go get the fridge back, and that gives Fran an idea to return all the presents Earl bought them and buy back their fridge which we learn in this universe is a new idea. Return policies don't exist yet. But Fran is determined to try it because this holiday is important to her husband and he's beginning to lose faith. So off they go to Cave Mart and talk to a sales rep there named Richard who's voiced by Tom Sharp. We want to give you these things and have you give us our money back. That makes no sense whatsoever. Whom I know best as Tim the Toolman Taylor's brother Jeff. <laughs> Just random ABC lot grabs, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Sure, <laughs> I'll take this job. Good for Tom Sharp. But this is another Unisaur model called Spikeback. And this same dinosaur was used in the very next episode, which is called What Sexual Harassment as a dinosaur named Al Sexual Harris, who was voiced by Jason Alexander and apparently invented innuendo. <laughs> the idea of a dinosaur with <laughs> a middle name, like, sexual, is just really funny. I don't know if it's his middle name, because, like, in the credits it's in quotes, so that's his nickname. Or, yeah, nickname, but still, like, that's just having been, like... Right. <laughs> comes in and like they build that after the fact with with the sexual harassment thing it's just i don't know it i love a good pun what can i say yeah that's that's a very it's like a multi-level pun 1991 everybody so richard here is bewildered by the concept of returning things in exchange for money back store credit doesn't exist either But let me ask you, what's the biggest gift you received that you ended up returning or exchanging? I had to think about this, and I can't even remember anything I had to literally return as a kid because, like, there were things I wanted to, but there were always the things that, like, I wasn't able to for whatever reason. Like, the most notorious for me (laughs) was the year I'm pretty sure my father just forgot to buy presents. Oh no. Because like I I was a divorced family kid. So I had like the separate Christmases. So when I go over to my grandparents' house to be with my dad for his little Christmas, I open this like what looks like a stack of CDs and I'm super excited because I'm like, oh, I love music. And it is a bunch of doubles he had gotten sent from Columbia House. But it's like things that I would never listen to, like Billy Ocean like the best of Billy Ocean and uh, like the like village people and jazz band. And like, none of this stuff had any interest to me as like a, an 11 year old. And it's like, here I am with what would have been at the time. I don't know, like it was the nineties. So it's like $700 worth of CD. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it's from, uh, and I only know that they're doubles because I saw those exact same CDs in his house oh, that he had already fuck. been listening to. Yeah. So it's like, they just sent him an extra batch and he's like, oh, just give them to her. And All right, here we like, go. Christmas is taken like, care of. <laughs> I could have 
gotten something good if I could have returned them. But unfortunately, I was kind of out of luck. Oh, man. <laughs> what about you? Uh, mine was the Nintendo Power Glove. Oh, my God. You actually managed to have one of those. We got one. It was quite literally so bad. Got it as a gift. Owned it for a week. Hated it. Returned it and bought Double Dragon 2. And that was one of my better decisions as a nine-year-old. I would say so. Even with its, like, memory issues, slowing it down and getting staggering and other stuff. Still a solid enough game. Oh, yeah. But back to Cave Mart, where Richard asks his manager, Hank, what to do about this crazy family that wants their money back for these presents. We sold this stuff to these guys, and now they want to sell it back to us. At a profit? I don't think so. Were you planning on making a profit in this little scheme of yours? Of course not. Well, if you're selling something, you should make a profit. That's uh -huh. just common sense. Uh, and Hank is Alan Troutman again, voicing another Unisaur. This is a blue-scaled model called Needle Nose, which I've seen as both Charlene's snobby classmate Heather and also Maurice, who dates Charlene when her uh, tail gets longer. Her tiggle bail. You know what I appreciate about these uh, dinosaurs, especially with the unisaurs being able to like be cast as female roles. Yeah. I'm just telling my fiance about this. Like we were watching, I, I think it was like some YouTube thing and they were going over the Donkey Kong animated show, which <laughs> one is garbage. like, don't seek it out to actually watch it. Wait, but, like the Donkey Kong country one? Yes. Okay. So it's, it's the worst computer animation. It's so, it's awful. One, it just looks bad because it's like, it's sub-reboot to give you an idea of how badly like it's done <laughs> as far as frames. Yeah. But, but like Donkey Kong and, and Diddy Kong are on model, but then he has like a girlfriend, but like her face is bare and she has this like, what's supposed to be like a sexy woman face. And like, I noticed that with that, we, and then we saw some like League of Legends thing where it was, I, I don't play League of Legends, so don't be mad at me for screwing up any names, but <laughs> it's like these little dwarf creature things, and like the little male ones are like these cute little like, you know, they got these little button noses, and they look like cool little creatures, and then the girls all look sexy. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate dinosaurs so much for having female characters that it's like, they're presented as female, but they don't look like sexy humans. No, they're just the same dinosaur model in a dress and a hat. And it's like, that's great. That's and it so works. Cool. <laughs> you don't need to want to have sex with the dinosaur. No, you don't. <laughs> but Hank here patiently explains to Fran, if we bought things from you, we'd be the customer and you'd be the store. You don't want to be a store, do you? Charlene does, but only she does. I mean, wouldn't she want to because she could get all the clothes for herself? <laughs> oh, yeah, Absolutely. Richard eventually agrees to buy back the gifts, but at less than the price they paid for it, and Fran, running out of time, agrees, and they return home with a styrofoam cooler. Which is about the size of the mini-fridge I had in college. Probably cleaner. When I saw it, all I could think of is uh, steel magnolias. <laughs> those, doctors, those doctors transport those organs around a beer cooler. <laughs> yeah, they come home with a beer cooler. Oh, well done. We now learn it's fridge day proper from Earl, who's briefly thankful the presents weren't stolen like he assumed, but doesn't feel much better when he sees the new cooler. 
He even apologizes to the baby for ruining his first refrigerator day, and when he invites the baby to hit him on the head with a frying pan, baby replies, That's getting old. Show got meta all of a sudden. I like the little subversion because I think if I remember that was probably the one thing I think people attached to the most from the show is just like the whole, I'm the baby, gotta love me, not the mama thing. And I know that there was definitely a lot of people who were annoyed with the show for that very reason. Oh yeah. So every now and then when you do like a little swerve like that, and like you said, it gets better show knows what it's doing. Oh yeah. See. (laughs) Yeah. I understand that. But also uh, now that my kids watch this show and my daughter's now 10 and she's starting to get a little sassy with her younger siblings. So I have told her the next time you talk to your siblings like that, I'm going to remind you that you're not the mama. (laughs) And that made her laugh enough to the point where she got the point. There you go. Parenting through dinosaurs. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Only had to do it once so far. So maybe it's working. Well, Fran finally raises her voice and reminds her family Refrigerator Day is about giving thanks for what they had that their ancestors didn't. And to get everyone in the spirit of the holiday, she wants the whole family to do their traditional Fridge Day pageant. And this pageant rules. Yes, I love the pageant so much. I love their weird, like, one, their pilgrim costumes. Yeah. The context of them being like, it's in the past, so we're going to dress like pilgrims makes me laugh. The fact that they're gold pilgrims costumes. They are like glittery gold pilgrim costumes. But they have patches that are supposed to be fancy, but they're supposed to look poor at the same time. I I, I love the contrast of all that. It's just such a funny set piece. Like, I wonder if they just had gold pilgrim plastic costumes lying around and they decided, all right, yep, this is what we're going to use. Throw some patches on there. Make it look like they're poor. (laughs) And it works. You can only make it work with a show like this. It's just like, it's the right amount of ridiculousness without being like a hat on a hat kind of thing. (laughs) Right. So here we have Grandma reading from a book called And Now It Can Be Told, The True Story of Refrigerator Day. I love how the title sounds like an expose book, too. You can. Yes. And the true story of Refrigerator Day is super boring compared to its title, but <laughs> they're talking like pilgrims, too. Like, I am famished, but lo, there is not a morsel left to eat. The beast of hunger stirs within me, too. Be still, beast, I cry. But alas, it will not. And to Baby's credit, he's watching with great interest, so the pageant is not just for Fran, it's for the baby. And a reluctant Earl finally agrees to don his gold pilgrim-style buckle hat and play the role of the nameless inventor of the refrigerator. Hark, I hear a voice, yet with my eyes I see not its source. A voice? Without a face? Surely it cannot be. But the voice would not stop. It said... Build a box that is cold inside. Build a box that is cold inside. I like the subversion, too, that for a holiday episode, which is, you know, mostly just a avatar for Christmas. Sure. Because, it, you know, you can't have actual Christmas because they're dinosaurs. Right. But the fact that they want to put the story in there like the night before Christmas, but they're like, oh, let's do it something different. And they make it a play. And I think that's like, I, I like it because it's, 
not only different, but it forced them to be like a little bit clever. And it also makes sense to like, to also not have that cliche of the dad of the house screws up, somehow doesn't have money, doesn't get the bonus thing, and is like wandering the streets all depressed and destitute. Like Earl just hangs out at home. And that's something that makes it stand out and be a little different that I appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that they're not celebrating Christmas, that they're trying to be sort of true with the timeline of things here, even though a lot of dinosaurs and accuracy and stuff isn't. Nobody cares, but at least they care enough to not have Christmas, which I like. Uh, And also not just having some like one for one. Oh, well, we have a dinosaur savior that's born. It's like that's a whole other holiday thing. Yeah, no, there's no that. There's no dino Santa. And instead, they kind of lean on Thanksgiving on this part, which I like a lot because it makes sense to tie it back to why are they having a holiday for refrigerators? Well, it has to do with food. What's a holiday that has to deal with being thankful for what we have? And it's food related. Thanksgiving. Oh, perfect. And look, it can air in any sort of TV block from, you know, November 14th through December 31st. (laughs) Pretty much. Do you have a favorite part of this pageant? (laughs) I do, but I figure, why don't we go through it? Because it's the last part. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, my, my favorite part is the line, and the greatest invention of our time was about to be tossed into the lake. I just, I love the fact that they go through this thing and they're like, oh, we have made a box, but it's not cold inside, but we built a plug because we have electricity. Right. They don't explain that. (laughs) And it's this wonderful, dumb anachronism that like is, again, like I mentioned that before, but I, it's so funny to me. And it's, it's the sort of thing where, especially because, you know, with with dinosaurs being kind of a like subversive as it was with the uh, different topics they would uh, tackle. Like it makes you think that refrigerator tape was just like a we say so invention like 20 years ago. They could have gone that route, but I'm glad they went this route. And I absolutely love that they just don't explain the plug part. (laughs) Fridge came first. Then they discover electricity. Makes perfect sense. Well, electricity was already there. That's why. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yep. (laughs) But the idea that they would make this thing and then be like, we have to build a plug. I don't know why. It just does. And then it's like, oh, wait, we should plug this in. But it's like, what do you plug it into? Yeah. And then they don't even, like, explain the idea of the need for shelter or anything else like that that these, like, quote-unquote modern dinosaurs have. It's like, it's all so bizarre but wonderful. And I I love it so much. Yes. And then the pageant wraps up with the family singing, Oh, come all ye dinosaurs. Store stuff in this box. Food will keep cold and last a long, long time. Come and spoil it. Build a home, cause now you can. No wandering days are over. No wandering days are over. Just plug this box into the Which I might need to put a copy of on my Christmas playlist. (laughs) And we end with Baby announcing, God bless us, everyone. And hits Earl with his tiny Tim crutch. 
I just love how out of place it is. And like, for no reason, he's suddenly dressed like a Dickensian orphan. Right. <laughs> just because he's supposed to, because we're going to recognize you, Yeah, you need to make that joke. They're already singing a Christmas carol now. It's not unusual for dinosaurs to get spiritual. In another episode, I heard Earl refer to cave people as God's creatures. So that's all fine. <laughs> and the pageant has turned around his spirits, and he says he made... Not have a refrigerator, but he's the luckiest guy in town. It's like a miracle. And speaking of miracles, the doorbell rings and in walk the uh, Cave Mart salespeople returning the family's fridge. And they're still wrapped presents. And they explain it's in exchange for surrendering all rights, interest, and claims to Fran's return policy idea. I told my boss your wife's idea about returning stuff, and he liked it. He thinks a return policy could give us the edge we need to crush our competition, become a monopoly, and serve you better. And also, they called in a favor to get Earl's Fridge Day bonus. I love the subversion again in this where it's much like the other, like Clark Griswold, Homer Simpson, of like, oh, what was me? I lost my bonus thing. That the resolution comes because of the action of the mother. And usually the mother is such a, much more of a passive role. And I, I like the fact that dinosaurs, it's like, as a family, they kind of got through it. Yes. No, Fran absolutely saves Fridge Day here, just coming up with this return policy. Hey, and she also helps out Cave Mart. So here's <laughs> all your stuff back. And oh, yeah, we installed snow machines on the roof. Everything's coming up Sinclair family. I, I also love the fact that um, it, much like the fantasy Earl had early in the episode with Sinclair or not, not Sinclair um Richfield where he's like oh here's this have a toddy enjoy the fire here's three checks they're all your bonuses and they just kept <laughs> piling it on and then at the end of the episode that's exactly what happens right it's all just everything works out and it's great because it's supposed to be because it's a holiday <laughs> yeah it's a joyful little reset and as Earl tells Richard, you retailers are really giving a new meaning to the holidays. <laughs> and, and that's it. The family gathers around their old fridge, plugs it in, and the scene pans out to a Christmas card style photo that reads, the cast and crew of dinosaurs wish you and yours the happiest of refrigerator days. In good old 1991 brush script word art. There's a lot of like wipes I remember them ending with on episodes or maybe it's just like I've seen a couple token ones enough where they like do that sort of thing where it's not necessarily like a photo, but it like does a cutaway kind of thing. Yeah, it is a very 90s era sitcom <laughs> ending and I don't really see it very much anymore and I kind of miss it almost. No, they need to bring it back. Now's a good time to I mean, I feel like we're on the the edge of, of getting a lot of those 90s tropes to start coming back. So we will see. But any final thoughts on Refrigerator Day or dinosaurs in general? Um, th This is just a solid holiday episode. And I mean, if you like hens and stuff, it's great to sit down and watch. If you're a fan of holiday stuff, it's a good watch. Like I have nothing but recommendations for this one. I mean, Dinosaurs itself is a solid show. If you've never watched it, take the time to. Absolutely. It's on Disney+. Plus. This episode is in season two. Uh, 
This show feels like one of the last silly ideas that Jim Henson graciously left behind for the rest of us, and I'm thankful for his son for helping to make it a reality so shortly after his father's death. Oh, yeah, it's abs- it absolutely has the almost, I don't mean this in a mean way, but stink of Jim Henson. <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you have any other favorite episodes of Dinosaurs that you can remember? Uh, besides the ones we mentioned, um... There's that switched at birth one where they bring, where they think that like the green other baby dinosaur who's well-mannered, but has all the allergies and he's wearing a flannel shirt like girl. That one's funny. Um, we just watched one where Robbie has come of age and he needs to howl like a dinosaur, but he can't really do it because he thinks it's pointless. And then he finally learns that it's because it's important to his dad and that's what makes him feel better about it. And it has, it's like a, it's also sort of an allegory of like, like the male version of PMS, I guess is what they're (laughs) trying to go for. One of my favorite episodes. And this one I have referenced for a long time in various situations, but it's the one where they get Earl to come in to help them program their TV shows. And he starts off, he's like, oh, I want to watch this simple thing. And it's like, he comes up with shows like the color show where it looks like, you know, it's like a nine by nine thing where it's just colors that change. <laughs> but it looks like it's a like a Brady Bunch sitcom because it almost like looks like the way they present it. It's like, oh, the colors are going to interact, but it's just colors. <laughs> but the one that I always make jokes about is box full of puppies. And that's all it is. It's like they go and it's like, oh my God, it's real puppies. Look, box full of puppies. So whenever I see like a dumb TV show that has like no payoff and no like content, that's nothing but like goopy feel good stuff. I'm like, oh, it's just box full of puppies. Box full of puppies. But that show's great because <laughs> that episode's great is um, his shows are so popular like the ratings go through the roof oh yeah (laughs) does they're so dumb that it makes everyone stupid (laughs) so and he's like everybody loves my shows but then like robbie forgets to breathe and stuff like that so then he has to make like smart shows and then he doesn't want to watch tv anymore so it ruins it for him (laughs) oh well that's that's probably my favorite episode of the whole series there are a lot of uh TV bashing jokes on the TV show of this. <laughs> they they go for a lot of different uh, things to crack humor at. And they do. It, it's it's like a better age South Park in that sort of thing, yeah. way. Because yeah. it's like, it doesn't take that annoying, like, oh, I'm a centrist. Nobody's, you know, everyone's fair game. But like, they also don't take any responsibility for stuff. It's like, they just kind of are willing to tackle every topic. And at a time where some things like you wouldn't expect them to do, like, like I mentioned the one where it was like a vegetarianism slash like gay reference. That's it's yeah. a little old, but like, that's, you wouldn't expect to see that on a kid's show in like 1991. Right. Absolutely not. They did a steroids episode, but oh, that's yeah, right. they, <laughs> they colored a lot of interesting stuff and mm-hmm. uh, they, they did a sexual, you know, you mentioned the sexual harassment one. I don't know if that's the same episode that like they, um, that, um, Fran's friend sues the We Say So Corporation for getting fired because she was mistreated for being as being a woman and stuff. Like again, like at a Friday night primetime kids show, like these are not things you would expect to see. And these weren't just like your a very special episode episodes either. 
like where they made like a big deal out of it kind of thing. Like, oh, talk with your family about this. It's like, no, that was just part of the regular content. And yeah, no, they were all <laughs> the things that made the show great. Yeah. They were absolutely regular parts of the show, and that made the whole show very special. And this episode kind of took some of the series' best tropes and delivers a very charming, silly holiday story. I don't see it on a lot of top episodes lists of dinosaurs, but it's one I remember the basic idea of in a positive light, so I'm happy it held up. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, totally worth the time to sit and watch, and, you know, episode flies by. I mean, yeah. not it's 22 minutes, but, like, it doesn't drag. No, it's a tight 22 minutes, and I really appreciate that, too, because there are some things I watch for this where things drag. <laughs> Watching the Pac-Man special, that was one from like, I'm like, oh, this thing just like, it doesn't know where it's going. It just keeps on going. Right. That that, yeah, that's a perfect example. <laughs> but thank you, Lindy, for joining me in this pageantry. Absolutely. Anytime. Uh, and if people want to offer you a hot toddy in your daydreams, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, this way to find me would be on Twitter. Um, I'm at IE Video Games. Thank you again. You can find me on Twitter at Fall West Mike and Advent Cal House. Extended show notes for this episode are at adventcalendar.house. Tune in again in a couple of days. Until then, for Lindy, live from inside a tiny styrofoam cooler, this is Mike Westfall saying, mind the icy patch and don't forget to buy paint. <laughs> And now, these messages. Do you long for those casual Friday nights spent in on the couch, cuddled up with a blanket, maybe some delivery pizza without a care in the world? Then I have the podcast for you. Hey, I am Matt, and I am the host of TGI Podcast. As a product of the 1990s, I want to go back and take a look at all of the classic TGIF shows, as well as many other classic sitcoms from that era, to determine if they truly are a holiday classic. We've got you covered with Halloween and Thanksgiving in the fall before we go full steam ahead with Christmas in December. Come give us a listen if you want to take a trip down 90s Nostalgia Lane. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. He'd be placed in a special pen so that Thanksgiving morning we would run to the barn, throw open the door, and there he would be, big as life. Hi there! What? A turkey?